Good evening, and it's a return to the Flamcast, slightly different one. Um, I'm cheating on John, who seems to be working every hour that God sent on him, uh, with the other half of the Flamcast. Good evening to you, Scott. Am I your mistress? Is that what you're saying here? No, maybe uh, a bit on the side, not necessarily. A bit in the side, okay. Uh, well, I've been called worse. So. Yeah, well, you've got all the allure of a French mistress. You like style, you like fashion, you've got a good taste in high heels. Um, <laughs> well, anything to, to lengthen the leg, darling. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And they, they work great with the calves. <laughs> exactly. Um, so myself and Scott have been kind of talking back and forth over the last week or so, and um, we haven't recorded a Flamcast in a while, so we decided to sit, sit down and have a look at what the season for the, the three tours has been like. You know, people are going back and thinking, the Giro, the Giro, was that this year or last year? What? When? Who? What? You know, so let's let's go through the three of them, and we'll take the Giro first tour, and we'll have a quick chat about what's happening in both of them and kind of what we're seeing through them. And at the end... Um, I'm throwing Scott a bit of a curveball. I'm going to ask him for his Grand Tour uh, team for next year for the Tour of France. Eight riders. The caveats are it's only current riders, um, so riders that are active at the moment. We can include Froome. And riders that will be going for GC, uh, a team that will be going for GC, not necessarily stage hunting. So we'll come to that towards the end of the show. Um, but kicking off, going back to the, the Giro, um, our overall winner was, was Carapaz. Um, movie star won the team competition. Yay! Setting off a, a trend for the rest of the year. Our points winner was uh, Pascal Ackerman. Um, our polka dot jersey winner was Julia Ciccone. Uh, the white jersey was Superman. Um, it was um, it was a bit of a strange Giro this year, wasn't it, Scott? And by people you mentioned earlier wondering about the Giro, you mean me because I... I had a look at the Giro and went, I have no recollection of any of this. I think this has been just made up because I can't remember a single thing about the <laughs> Giro. It's, it feels like it was a lifetime ago now. Um, I, I do have a, a vague recollection towards the the end of our fellow cast daily shows on the Giro saying that, I was a bit disappointed by it. It's normally the Giro, it's the first Grand Tour of the year and it has this kind of romantic um, image with with cycling fans of, of being the most beautiful Grand Tour and we, we always love it and it'll always be spectacular and I kind of felt it was somewhat of a of a damp squib this year. Yeah, it was very much a, a long lead in to the mountains. I think there was maybe 10 or 12 days of kind of uh, poor transition and flat stages it was kind of i know there were uh, there was talks they were handicapped by the start because they had to move the start quite late and um, so they kind of truncated the first third of the race and it really took it took its time to get going um and i suppose as well as that we kind of had roger going into pink quite early and we were kind of expecting dominance from him and we were kind of expecting a somewhat of an Ineos type ride from him and and uh, Jumbo Visma, but they it didn't turn out that way in the end up, and it was a bit more exciting than I think we will give it credit for. But it was it took a long time to take off, and I suppose uh, for me, I think that the, the, the first couple of we first couple of stages, first ten stages, were probably forgettable. And considering it's only a twenty one day tour, you know that's half a gone already, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. We have moved past that era now of 
the the traditional what used to be the, the the mainstay for the Tour de France that traditional first week where it's just for the sprinters and then um, we we move on to the the, the um, the the GC battle kind of getting started and it builds up towards the, the the third week, but the Giro didn't get the memo this year. It, it kind of felt more like an old school traditional Grand Tour, whereas we over the past, I'd say maybe two three years now, ESO particularly have started to shake things up about how they they approach the the pacing of of the tour and and of course their interest in, in the Vuelta and and we'll talk about those following that kind of, of theme uh, as we go along in the show I'm sure but it, it did feel like it was very much an old school traditional Grand Tour and hopefully RCS will will think again on on, on what they they gave us this year and, and, and maybe try something different for, for the 2020 Giro. Yeah, very much so. I, I do think that they need to kind of, they don't need to throw in massive mountains early on, but I do think we are now getting a kind of a more of a tapas menu of uh, Grand Tour, where there's a little bit of everything in the first week, a little bit of everything in the second week, and a little bit of everything in the third week. And it just keeps everyone interested and no one, there's no domination throughout one week and the race is over. So, you know, if you have a bunch of mountain stages, you know, for example, as you said, what would have happened previously in the tour, probably would have had four or five flat stages, maybe a TT into the Alps, then a couple of transitions down to the Pyrenees, a couple of transitions up to Paris. And, you know, with the TT, the Alps combined, someone could have had the race wrapped up from there. So things were kind of no longer interesting from that point of view, but they've now mixed it up. And, you know, like this, they, they threw in a, a mountaintop finish stage three this year, I think. Um, so, you know, things like that, I've really mixed it around. But I will say in defense of the Giro, I do think that this year, probably they've had the best battle for pink points and polka dot this year of all three Grand Tours. Oh, that's a controversial one for me. Um, I mean, I, I think probably given... The tour and and the Vuelta are most prominent in, in my mind, and as I said a moment or so ago, the, the the Giro feels so long ago. I mean, I did go back and and look at obviously results and and reminded myself of a, a few of the kind of key stages. But I think I'd really need to kind of spend maybe two or three days actually just sitting with the Giro again to to see whether I I would uh, agree with your assertion there that. The, the fight for, for all of those jerseys was as as keenly fought as 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 you're putting it to me here. Okay, well look, let, let's let's take a look at it, right? So first of all, Polka Dot was Ciccone um from Trek and he was very much riding like a, a pro pro Conti rider very early on in, in the this year or went on the attack, was looking for stages, was looking for mountain points, was really active all the time um and was really active even late on into the race, getting out into breaks with uh Bill Bell and a few others was really constantly looking for the mountain points and was really challenging for stages. Whereas compare that to Bardet in the tour, Bardet won one horse category, and that was enough to get him the, the jersey. Uh, and just because of the cancellation of the final, the second, second last, the third last stage, he kept the jersey to the end. Really poor battle there for Polkadot. Um, in the the Vuelta, we had McLovin. Um, 
oh, what's his real name? Angel Madrazo. He went into there early on, and then from there on in, it was taken by uh, Bouchard. And there really wasn't that much of a scrap for the, the, the polka dot. You know, it kind of just, it was a by-the-way competition. You know, it didn't really seem to take the stages by, you know, there wasn't a, a group up the road really fighting for for the, the polka dot. It wasn't swapping hands. There wasn't, you know, two or three riders up there from AG2R trying to get Bouchard across or trying to keep someone away. It just, it, it seemed a, a by-the-way kind of contest. Um, I, I think that, you know, Ciccone really, really kind of lit up the, the polka lot there in, in Giro and probably in some way, shape or form, considering the last 18 months of Trek's, Trek's season um, probably has done a lot, a lot of work for them and probably has saved their season this year and probably puts a good reflection on their season over the last while. Um, the points jersey... I suppose the the main story there for me for the the sprints jersey um, was the the miswiring of Acker, of uh, Viviani, Ackerman dominating, and then um, again another great Frenchman Arnaud Demer taking the the points jersey, and then when there was a breakaway, I think one of the last stages, um, he actually blinked and had his team chase down the break and then finished second to Ackerman and lost the jersey. Um, whereas in the, the you know in the tour, Sagan really wasn't the best sprinter there. Uh, what did he win? One stage. Really wasn't like the Sagan of old, um, and was just taking intermediate sprints and kind of mopped up the green jersey and just he was just so versatile. Didn't really have to win stages. Didn't really have to sprint that hard. Wasn't really a, a good sprinter's battle for the green jersey. You know, Ewan won a couple of stages. Um, wasn't very close to him at all. Um, Michael Matthews was was trying to sprint, couldn't sprint. So I think that that let that down. And you know, if you look at the the winner of the the points in the Vuelta, uh, Primoz uh, Rogeric, you know, uh, he was he led in Pogacar and Sam. Sam Bennett was third. Pogacar, you could see somehow how because he won three stages. But I think, again, a poor battle there. And maybe they need to look at how the points and stuff like that are awarded in the Vuelta. But I think, you know, from, from that point of view, I think the best battle for the other two jerseys was definitely uh, the Vuelta. And I suppose then you could lean towards the the tour being the best battle for for yet for leaders jersey but i do think there was a good spread of riders in the the giro that were battling you know uh you had roderick nibali landa carapaz you know so i, I do think there was a, a good battle across that and that's my reasoning and i stand over it. actually i no i i actually can't really argue with with any of that and i and i guess maybe my my kind of surprise at you putting that that statement to me was coloured by me feeling in hindsight, or even at the time that the Giro had been a bit of a letdown. But yet, when you kind of lay it all out like that, I'm 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 forced to agree with you, Derek. I can't really kind of come back on on many of of what you said there. Maybe perhaps um, just looking at uh, Ciccone for for a minute and how the how he has perhaps saved Trek's season. I mean, they've only had eight wins in 2019, and two of them came from Giulio Ciccone and and the Giro. Can we really call that a a season save? I don't know. I, I think he was just so aggressive. He was so visible. He was so he was so prominent. I think he was riding from the front. Um, and I think he really was. I think they they've been they've been kind of off the boil the last little while. Now I've been a little bit harsh on them. Um, but like they do, the signing of Richie Port and now the signing of uh, Vincenzo Nibali for next season doesn't indicate a a, a team that's I don't know um, 
aiming for youth, aiming for GC, aiming for the future. They're aiming kind of for middle of the road, steel results, kind of let's kind of bring in, bring in a rider who can get us a few results and not really do anything else. Um, I don't know. I think Ciccone did very, very well for, for Trek there. You look at um, uh, Malama at the Tour of France, really wasn't anywhere. Um, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you on both um, how Trek have been this season and, and kind of in, in marked contrast to how Ciccone rode the, the Giro. I'm just saying, uh, just positing the idea that winning that, that polka dot jersey in the, the Giro is enough in and of itself to let the team off the hook for what I think has been yet another disappointing season for them. I totally agree with with how they're looking for 2020. Even this year, Richie Port has been a wee bit of a disappointment and the signing of, of Nibali doesn't really, as, as you say, engender much confidence that it's a team on the rise it's a, a team that's trying to associate itself with with um riders who have had good results in the past and are maybe coming towards the the end of of their their time which i, I guess actually throws the question in about you know was was Nibali's performance in the giro his has the last time we'll we'll see uh, Vincenzo perform at that level. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, he he did drop the ball a bit. I think he was too focused on uh, Yumbo and Primos. Um, I really think he was just so focused on him. He didn't really really realize the danger of Land and Carapaz. And I mm. suppose in some way, shape, or form, <clears throat> until Carapaz's win, really, would you have put him as number one choice? Our number one favorite for Giro, he would have been there or thereabouts. He would have been in your, in your top six, he's your top eight or whatever else. He, you know, it's a good strong team. They had good riders there, um. But I think from a GC point of view, from a three week tour, um, you saw it in the in the Tour of France. Uh, Nibali didn't have legs. You know, he just he probably has one Grand Tour in him a season. Um, could that Grand Tour be stage hunting? Quite possibly. Would it be a, a challenge for the GC? I don't think so. No. I mean, having said that, I mean, ask me again after Lombardia. We'll see how he is then. I, I think you're right that 2019 is probably the end of Grand Tour ambitions for Vincenzo. I mean, a Vincenzo Nibali world champion wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to, to imagine, would it? No, and I think he is quite he is quite focused on targeting the Olympics next year in Tokyo. I think mm-hmm. it's it's quite a hilly parkour, and if he has the uh, the full complement of Italian riders back behind him, he could do a lot of damage over there. But you know, look, um, to your point, like I I do think he still has a a lot of cards to play in one day races. Um, I could see him giving Liège a good rattle. I could see him giving Amstel a good rattle. Um, and like you said, Lombardi could be his as well. Like you know, I do think there there is there's life in him, uh, and there is cards to play for Trek with him. But um, how they play those cards and how it works out for him is is another day's work. Because I think as well, looking towards twenty twenty, with Bahrain signing Landa and uh, Woodpools, um, I think they're probably going to look for some instant success. I think they're going to probably target one day races, perhaps. Um, I think they're going to look for kind of some 
easy wins because I think they need to attract riders for 2021-2022 to start trying to build a, a Grand Tour team if that is their ambition. So I think they're going to look for some easy wins. So I think there's going to be a kind of a, a bit of a clash there of of um, a couple of teams aiming for the same thing next year. Um, so that's going to be interesting for Trek and for Nibali as well. Mm. So what, what else then in the, the, the Giro? The, the one... The one thing that I really took up, took out from the Giro, um, considering how the rest of the, the tours uh, panned out, was Movie Star actually riding as a team. Um, I know, you know, Landa is always at Landa, but he he rode very well for Carapaz, um, defended very well, covered breaks, and when he went on his own, you know, with the old oh Movie Star attacking Movie Star, he was actually doing it with a purpose. He was drawing out riders, and he was. Uh, enabling himself to climb GC or to put pressure on other riders, uh, and they rode intelligently. Uh, they rode as a team and they rode as a unit, which made a mockery of Movie Star for the rest of the season. I mean, I guess you you could say that anything that that deviates from their usual clown car and a headlong collision with a dumpster fire style of tactics is perhaps the exception that proves the rule. So I, I'm a wee bit wary of, of stating the Giro showed movie star can ride as a team. I mean, you, you could argue that what would out, outwardly appear as Landa riding as a foil for Carapaz could equally be explained as ra- Landa riding for Landa, and that just happened to benefit Carapaz. But it certainly was the most cohesive they've looked yeah. across, not if not this season, certainly the last couple of seasons as well. Um, and they have a big rebuilding job ahead of them now next season, don't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was looking at the the number of riders that are going out, and it's it's a whole host of of guys that are are leaving at, at the end of this season. Um, yes, of course, they've got some some riders coming in. Uh, Enric Mass being the the biggest name, I guess. Who I think you know, I, I don't know whether I'm going too far in, in suggesting that he was maybe a little disappointing at, at the tour um, but uh, as well as uh, Mass they've got Dario Cataldo and David Di Viella ca- coming in um, but yeah. as you say it does it does look like it's a big rebuilding plan go, going on there and, and we might see a much quieter movie star across the next two seasons before they actually get in the, the, the type of, of foundation and, and talent they'd require to to be proper Grand Tour contenders again. And the other side of that as well is um, they have blackballed um, Bernal's agent, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, they? They've actually said that they're not going to um, uh, take anyone that uses him as an agent because of the problems they had with Carapaz, who's the same agent, and I can't think of his name. Um, but anyway, Carapaz, Bernal, Sosa all have the same agent and there's been dealings with all three of them. Carapaz is meant to have signed a, a deal very early on in his movie star deal with Sky, um, even though they had options for him and all that sort of stuff and they weren't given the chance to, to, to speak to Carapaz. The deal was a uh, letter of intent may have been signed or whatever you want to say. Um, so I think it's an interesting move from them, and it's going to see how that it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, and see if it can break the the power struggle that is there between teams, agents, riders, and kind of stables like that. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see where Movie Star go over the next while because 
um, for a, a company that's been sponsored by, a, or for a team that's been sponsored by a phone company, the one thing they've truly been bad, bad at over the last few years has been communication. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of communication, what do you think um, of Jumbo Visma from the Giro? I mean, everyone has been, I'm going to come at this at a slightly strange angle, uh, I guess. Everyone has been falling over themselves recently to to praise Jumbo Visma in the past couple of weeks. But as I've been saying uh, on the Velocast, I, I, I don't think they or Roglic were challenged as much as they, they should have been in that race. I mean, in, in the Vuelta, I'm happy to say that Roglic was definitely the strongest rider in, in that race and a worthy, worthy winner. I just don't think that was a particularly strong team, though, which is a roundabout way of saying I'm not sure that the performance at the Vuelta should be seen as proof that, that perhaps they learned the lessons that everyone thought they, they needed to learn coming from the, the Giro where they, they screwed up royally. Yeah, and they screwed up royally on a number of fronts. You know, uh, the, the team director taking the nature break at the wrong time, uh, not being there for the mechanics, not having not having someone there the, the same size as Roger. Like, I don't know. I, that's that seems to have gone out of fashion quite a bit nowadays, doesn't it? That the loyal lieutenant or the the second in command after the the team leader is completely different size now. Whereas previously, before you would have found that they would have been around the same size. That so that the you know, if something happens, you give him the bike and he's away and he's on the same size bike or whatever else, or very, very similar. That seems to have gone gone by the wayside. And just a couple of their calls, um, and, you know, I, I, my own opinion is that I think if Yumbo put all their eggs in one Grand Tour basket, uh, Kreuzwick, Roglic, Bennett, Deplus, Cus, um probably Tony Martin and Moot van Aert. That's what, five, seven, one more. And we will go for Hessink. All right, that's my eight. I think if they put that eight together in one team and put them challenging someone for challenging... Now, I know I've left out Dumoulin there at the moment, but if they put that into one Grand Tour team, I think they'd, they'd, they'd mop up easily. But I think because they're splitting out the teams and you've had riders riding... Giro Vuelta, uh, Tour of France Vuelta. You know, you've had them spread over two Grand Tours this year. I don't think you're seeing the best of that team. And I think they're they're they are spread a bit thin. Um, I think if they they combine together under one Grand Tour ambition, I think they could very well challenge Sky next year. Um, but I I don't think they will. I think they'll spread that team out, and I think they'll, um, I think they'll they'll handicap themselves again. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned Dumoulin there. I think there's still a big question mark over how he comes back. Uh, tearing tendons is is no laughing matter. And just my, you know, complete our armchair uh, doctor's internet googling of of what that means is you know it's it's a troubling issue. And and I I do hope he he's able to come back. And I'm sure due diligence was was done by Jumbo Visma and, and signing him. But as I say, just from, from Googling that type of injury, it's the kind of thing that it, it doesn't go away very easily and, and can really hamper you for the, the rest of your life. And that's just talking about, you know, Joe Bloggs like like ourselves, never mind 
highly tuned uh, athletes at, at the top of their game who are are stretched to to breaking point. Um, but if even if we do accept that De Milan comes back as as good as we know he is, as you say, they're looking kind of like Brailsford has in in the past year or so at making a full blown tell at all three Grand Tours. They've certainly got the GC guys there that can do it in the shape of say Kreuzvik for the Giro, um, Dumoulin for for the Tour, and Roglic for the Vuelta again. But it is in the strength and depth, and not even Sky Ineos have have managed to to really achieve that kind of strength and depth. As I, I think we've witnessed this year, uh, they they've looked a bit poor. But I think there are other reasons for that, which I want to kind of come on to. I guess when we talk about the the, the tour in more depth, uh, so it will be interesting to see how Jumbo Visma do fare in 2020. They look to be the most promising, but I think it's a top heavy team. Um, it, it looks like there's there's you know there's enough Grand Tour talent there, general classification talent there, but not enough depth in 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 supporting all that ambition. Yeah, I I agree there. And the other thing that they got handicapping them um, is Guanaguin. He will want the Tour of France. Uh, and if you're bringing him, you're bringing him and you're bringing a lead-up man, so you're probably bringing Mike Tunison. So that narrows down your climbers by two. Um, and if he's going to double up, Guanaguin uh, probably won't double up. Tunison probably will double up and do work on the flat and do work in the valleys and stuff like that on some of the the mid mountain stages and stuff like that but you know that's that's the thing that sky have always done is that all right they brought cav to the tour a couple of years one year one year i think but he, he the service one year, he, yeah, yeah. The, the service he got was absolutely atrocious i know there's a fantastic um photo of of him being led out by uh wigo on onto the into paris but at the same time he had a really tired time that year in the tour of france when he should be mopping up stages left right and center he was seen carrying bottles for yellow jersey and he was in the world champions jersey that year as well and i, I it, it offended me on so many different levels and um, to see that happen to him so i wonder how yumbo are going to uh, balance that plus as well the the thing that i will say about uh, sky as well on that is uh, and we've talked about this ourselves, is Nicola Portal. Um, what has he won? Nine nine Grand Tours now? Maybe? Some, something like that, yeah. I mean, it can't be far off that if uh, if that's not the exact figure. I think he's won... Well, he's won with, he's won with Wiggins, Froome, Thomas, Bernal. Has he had anyone else? I I, I I don't know if he was if he was a DS when when Wiggins won in 2012. I I seem to remember uh, I I was in uh, Maastricht uh, for when uh, I think Nico Portal was was just becoming uh, a DS. He was still you know kind of a trainee if if you like and yeah yeah was was, was being you know let into the chair gradually and and I think that may have been. 2013 2014 so I, I don't think he was ds back when wiggins won when his tour but the, the, the i suppose the general point i was trying to get to there was look at the knowledge and look at the depth he has there um in comparison to how yumbo were at uh 
the the Giro and the the couple of silly mistakes that they made, uh, and you look at how well uh, Ineos managed their riders at the at the tour and how how well things are done, and to the nth degree and stuff like that, and you wonder, will that, how much money will that take to get to that degree, and will someone like Portal be the difference? Will he know when to ride, when not to ride? And you, you've seen a couple of times. This year as well with Roglic getting caught out, um, especially the echelon stage and the, the Vuelta, badly caught out there. Um, you know, silly stuff like that. That's stuff that uh, it's drilled into the sky. Um, and how how will Yumbo pick that up is, is what I'm wondering. Will they poach a DS? Will they poach someone like that? Um, they've done well themselves with uh, sports scientists and stuff like that. Um, but will they need, if they don't achieve next year, what are they going to do the year after then to improve themselves? And that's um that's going to be an interesting one. See how they're going to manage all those riders. If if for example they put Roglic into the Giro next year and he fails again at the Giro or missed times, will he get it? Will he get a go to the Tour? Um, will Dumoulin come up and be you know fighting fit for the Tour? As well as that, I suppose the other side of it as well, Dumoulin needs a certain type of Grand Tour to suit him, and he could be a couple of years you know one or two years even three years hanging around for the right grand tour to suit him as well mm. I, I don't know if there's there's anything further you'd want to say on the the zero but there, there was one thing when as i say kind of looking back three individual time trials now i'm i'm perfectly willing to put my hand up and flaunt my anti tt bias here and I'll happily say that one individual time trial is too many for me, but three is just taking the pee, surely. I think so. I would love to see uh, a return to the prologue. Um, short, sharp. Um, and if you remember correctly, back in the day, back in the 80s, 90s and stuff like that, that the previous winner would start in the yellow jersey. Um, I'd love to see something like that come back. And I, I do think a, a time trial has a place in a Grand Tour. Um, because I think it balances out, you know, um, the likes of Lopez, Landa, Quintana. You know, it 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 keeps the the slightly the slightly bigger rider, the Ruler. They're not really Rulers anymore because they're they're still mountain goats, but they're just big bigger mountain goats than the 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 kind of guys that we would be used to. And it gives a, I think it's a time trial has a place in it. A good time trial has a place in a grand tour and needs to be kept in a grand tour. Um, But yeah, like you said, three is far, far too much. Uh, Sorry. I I, I guess that was my my cue. I I don't know whether you want to go into the. We shall. Yeah. And after that, after that, thoughts about the grand uh, about the three grand three time trials in the grand tours we shall go on to the i suppose do you want to call it do you want to call it the best the best tour this year i, I think it was uh, just kind of doing our vuelta wrap up uh last week or the beginning of this week john was saying the vuelta was the best for him with the tour second and the, the giro third but i i think i'm I'm hedging towards the tour being the best Grand Tour this year with the Vuelta second and, and the Giro in, in, in third place. I I thought it was a it was a brilliant race from from start to, to finish. It was one of those perfect storms where like with Vokler, what was that, fifteen or so years ago now, ten years ago now, it was just fantastic to see Julian Alaphilippe 
and having that I can't believe he's still in yellow day after day. It's one of the great things about about bike racing. It just seems to throw up these these opportunities for riders that we don't talk about prior to the races as having the uh, hope in hell of, of um, having a big long stint like that in the yellow jersey, and and it really really was was added to by the as he got closer and closer and closer, can he hold on? Can he hold on? And even if he doesn't hold on, we've still got Thibaut Pinot for the, the French in, in waiting almost, you know, kind of like the president-elect heading towards Paris before all hell broke loose for, for everybody on, on stage 19. But I, th- I thought that there was there was fantastic racing all throughout the, the Tour de France this year. And despite there being a, a good few absences and some some curious tactics from from quite a few riders i i i thought the tour was was great this year i i wholeheartedly agree i think the only thing that left it down was the manner of bernal's win i think we were we were denied that that finale that we deserved that the, the 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 three weeks the 18 stages before that led up to it it was it was building perfectly to a a, a three-man fight a four-man fight on these last couple of climbs I and mean, i think we were we we're kind of robbed of that i think maybe that might take a little bit of the luster off it but i, I think yeah for for me as a whole, the Grand the Tour of France was head and shoulders above any other uh, Grand Tour. I'd say in the last few years, to be honest with you, um, I think you know the emergence of Alaphilippe, and I think even from his own preparations, if you look at what he did, he went off. He was at Sierra Nevada. He was doing the altitude camps. I think he believed in himself, and he backed himself to give a good ride and maybe not to the extent that it actually occurred but I think he backed himself to do to take yellow on a couple of stages and to actually hold on to it and maybe get as far as a time trial and maybe I think he suspected he might lose time there but you know he he rode rode so well and I suppose then on the other side as well as we had Pino who lost time in the winds and you know rode magnificently to come back and then we were denied the, you know his swashbuckling finish as well by a silly knee injury, which kind of I, I again maybe took the the bit of the luster off it because we really did fancy that kind of last that that stage nineteen all in GC battle. I mean, but I t- and yes, I mean all those points I I agree with, but I mean I, I I think I kind of came away from that that race and and all the the events, especially around stage nineteen with the stage being cancelled and. Only a couple of hours earlier, Pino, who I'm talked about in terms of being the, you know, the king in, king in waiting ahead of of Paris. Uh, as soon as Alaphilippe falters, then surely Pino is going to rise. It was still, well, it was heartbreaking or hugely disappointing. It was still, uh, you know, your jaw was just left hanging at the shock of it all. Yeah, and and I guess that. You know, not to celebrate that stage being cancelled or Pino going out, it was still the spectacle of all that happening on top of everything else that had happened up until then. You know, like uh, Alaphilippe winning the time trial, for goodness sake. That was, you know, nobody predicted that. Never mind his you know, extravagant run in the in the Mayo Zone, actually taking 
the miles you want to pole and, and winning the time trial there, it was all great spectacle. And, and while I do take your point about it, maybe taking the shine off things from a sporting point of view and we were denied seeing it play out the way it possibly should have done again just arguing from from the the point of of pure spectacle it was fascinating and 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 glorious and and heartbreaking and all the things that that we love about about sport that that isn't just about you know strongest person winning yep. or, or or sporting collapses those, those kind of things it, it, for me it just was it was incredible to watch i suppose i i yeah i do see your point now and that it, the myth of the the tour of france was written strong there and mm. from a sporting point of view you you may feel as if you you missed your finale but from a mythical point of view the tour of france what what an ending you know you, you, if someone directed this as a film Nah, that's too far-fetched, pal. No, that'll, that'll never go down in theatres. That'll never go down. And it's often said, like, you know, real life is much more interesting than, than the movies. And it, it proved this way. I suppose, let's just, just recap on the, the, the jerseys and everything else, I suppose. Uh, as we said, uh, Bernal, overall winner. Uh, Sagan took the points jersey. Some random French dude took the polka dot jersey. Min- <laughs> minced around. Uh, white jersey was Bernal. And, of course, the team was... Um, um, I mean, it's, it's as predictable now as Sagan winning the green jersey, movie star taking a, a, a team classification. Yeah, it is really. And I suppose it, it's even more comical considering how unteam like they are. It really yeah, I mean, is. I think it really is proof that there is a god and he's he's just a devious bastard who's who's really up on irony. Yeah, I, I, I take that. And I, I it still it still amuses me that Alejandro Valverde is still such a a dominant force and such a, a such a a force in such a way that you just don't know what you're going to get with him as well um and it just he should be just gone out of the sport for years but you can't but help admire him for his for his tenacity and his ability to ride a bike but at the end of the day he shouldn't he just shouldn't be around like no. Um, I think we've got to look at Enios because despite taking two jerseys out of the biggest Grand Tour of them all and in a race that has been always, has always been their focus since the, the team's inception, you know, thinking back famously to that statement from uh, um, Dave Brailsford about we will win the Tour de France with a British rider within five years it still felt like a, a very unsky-like performance from the team now known as Ineos. Yeah and I think it, that's probably what what added to the excitement of it was we didn't have the Ineos train, we didn't have um, the domination that we normally come to expect and plus as well, we had the friction between uh, Bernal and Thomas and you weren't quite sure who was going to rise up towards the end because, you know, uh, Bernal shipped quite a bit of time in the, in the TT, um, a, a lot more than I expected to him. Um, and they they were pulling, they were, there were seconds here and they were losing seconds there and, you know, uh, they, they, yeah, it didn't really look like the Ineos of old at all at all. And I, I have 
a long-term theory and i think i have a an article the thousand word article at the moment about the the possible pivot that's currently happening at at, at ineos i suppose to, to summarize it i think um their model previously was buy the best lieutenants that you can buy uh roach kibitowski uh pools hey now uh guys that could challenge for gc but would be fourth fifth sixth pay him enough money get him to ride for a singular rider get him to ride for one one dominant leader and use him in that way shape or form i think in the last 18 months maybe two years you've seen sky not sign that rider if you go back and look at uh, Kiwatowski, probably you haven't really seen that rider sign for Sky in the last while. If Sky, if they signed other riders, you know, and they, they've brought in other riders, but they haven't signed those kind of riders. And what they've done, whether it's been by decision, by fluke, or I don't know what, they've now got um, this year's uh, Giro winner, this year's Tour of France winner, last year's Tour of France winner last year's Giro winner and you know they've, that's Bernal Carapaz Thomas and Froome and they've got what looks like to be two options for every Grand Tour and instead of being aggressive and controlling the race they're now going to be passive let other riders take it up and let them kind of sit in the wheels follow the moves and be passive on, the, on it and then at the Queen stage decisive decisive stage or decisive point in a, in a race uh, one of their two riders will take it up and look to take on the jersey at that point and I think that's whether it's by design by default or just how they've recruited in the last while I think that's that's the, the, the pivot they're going to make over the next short while I, and I know you've had this B and you, you bought out about the absence of, of Rod Ellingworth being a, a kind of death knell for, for the team if I'm not maybe overstating that but and, and I'm not, you know, saying you're you're wrong or that I, I disagree with what what you're saying, but I, I would wonder whether there's there's equally a case for pointing to 2019 as just being a series of unfortunate events, as as valid a reason for them being as poor as as anything else. And and make no mistake, they have been pretty bad as as a team almost throughout uh 2019 despite the the successes that, that they have had um i mean i, I think egan bernal breaking his collarbone ahead of the the giro and and Froome's terrible crash at the the dauphine totally screwed things up for how you know if not two three grand tours were going to be to be ridden I think Geraint Thomas was essentially a shadow of the rider who won the tour last year and made some bizarre tactical moves like chasing after uh, Egan Bernal and essentially towing rivals along with him. I remember criticising him yeah. on the day for that. I thought it was it was very strange. I thought he was himself poor at the time trial, never mind uh, Egan Bernal's performance. Um, so maybe we should we should table this and, and come back to it and come back to it this time next year and and say actually yeah Derek you were you were totally right there it is Rod Ellingworth and it is or has been uh, a, 
an unwillingness or, or uh, just missed opportunities in terms of signing the, the key domestiques that they've needed over the past two seasons. Um, or alternatively, we come back to this point next year and say, yeah, 2019 was the, the aberration. Uh, they've, they've come back the way that we've, we've seen them in, in 2018, 17, 16, so on and so forth. Yeah, I suppose it, it, it can only be looked at in a, in a, in a small picture format at the moment. We can't compare it to uh, 2018, 2017 yet because it's, and you know, it, it's just a, it, it's a result that's occurred. And we have to look at it as that result. I, I suppose uh, the, the BMI bond about Ellingworth was, when I spoke to any other journalist, I'm not calling myself a journalist, but any other journalist um, about Ellingworth, and I was, I, you know, asked him what did he do with the team? Was he the trainer? Was he physical manager? Or was he strength and conditioning? What did Rod do? And the answer I got most commonly was everything. Um, and to replace someone like that, it takes quite a bit of adjustment. Sure, there's a long tail of projects work that he's put in previously before he left probably still taking effect to this day but to take up the slack from that sometimes takes change and when change happens in a team sometimes things don't happen accordingly or don't happen in the predicted manner and what may happen or what we may find out is that instead of there just being one Rod Ellingworth replacement next year in 2020 there might be two three people doing the the same job and they've carved out okay well we need to so we need to carve out this part of the job and that's that person's job you look after this and the third person looks looks after that Uh, and that can take a bit of time and it's like you know signing two or three mountain domestiques at the at the one time and trying to bed them in i think it's going to take a bit of transition i don't think rod ellingworth was the the savior of that team or was the you know the brains behind it all. i just think because of his position as every you know they did everything as a team he is going to be it's going to take a bit of transition for them to move on from him and look i may be 100 percent wrong on that and there may be completely another another reason for this uh and no one's no one's talked about this all season this is the first season that we've seen that tramadol has been banned and we've seen some writers I'm not pointing at any writers, but we've seen some writers completely off the boil. We've seen some writers um, miss targets. We've seen some writers been very, very poor around targets. And I wonder, is that a reflection of the ban coming into place? And we we as outsiders will never know that, but it, it could be a factor as well. And I'm I'm not going down the tin, half, tin foil hat brigade route or anything like that, but I do think it's something that's been quite overlooked this season and hasn't really been mentioned um, without, and I, like I said, yeah, I don't mean to be pointing fingers at anyone, but as a factor in why some riders may be off, may not be uh, able to do the job they were previously able to do, or just generally, you know, that it could be a, a thing that could be affecting the season, but it hasn't been really mentioned at all. Mm. Um, I mean, I think one of the other things, having asked a few questions, one of the other things that I think has affected Enios this year in terms of, of their Grand Tours is having a leader who will actually tell the team what he needs each day. Um, because as, as I understand it, Geraint Thomas doesn't do that, whereas Chris Froome does. He yeah. absolutely tells you what... I mean, you can say what you like about Chris Froome, and I know everybody has, has their own opinion of the guy, but... 
from my understanding, Froome certainly does marshal that team the way he wants them to ride day in, day out. Geraint isn't used to doing it, doesn't like doing it, kind of plays it more by ear. Egan Bernal, I think, is too young, really, to have felt he was in a position to do it this year, even though he was going in as a kind of co-leader of, of that team. I think there's a difference between coming into the Tour de France at 22, but you're still riding for the defending champion and being there if the defending champion should falter at any point. I think there's a big difference between that and being able to come in and go, hey, Wood Pools, this is what you're doing today. Hey, Ian Stannard, this is what you're doing today and this is what I need. I think I, it takes a few years of riding in the peloton and a, and a really strong team to to have that confidence, if it's in you at all. And it's one of the things I think that, that makes a Grand Tour winner as much as strength in the legs and, and luck and so on and so forth is the ability to lead a team. And, and I don't know whether they've, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's an area that they've been lacking in. Uh... Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm just dropping back in now here, um, mainly because myself and Scott go on for another 45 or 50 minutes and we've decided to split this interview or podcast into two. So this is the middle point. We've just decided to split it here, and you'll get more next week, okay? So thanks for listening. Uh, you'll find me mainly floating around on Twitter, at Flamcast. Any feedback about this will be great. Um, enjoy listening to this episode, and we'll have more for you next week. Thanks.